James chapter 2. James chapter 2 this morning, and we'll begin reading in verse number 14. For those who haven't been with us throughout this, we are in the midst of a series on the book of James. This is, uh, I think, the seventh uh, lesson that we've looked at from James. And today we're going to look at uh, really the, the gist of the whole thing, the, the very center of James' thought here as we talk about the topic, alive or dead? Or dead or alive? James chapter 2, verse number 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works, and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works, is dead also. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray for your help on this passage. I pray, Lord, that you would fill me with your spirit. Oh, Father, we pray that you would be our teacher today. So much confusion swirls around this passage, and so much has been written about it down through the history of your kingdom. I pray today for clarity. May nothing be said here that shouldn't be said, nothing that is incorrect. May we be clear. And Lord, I pray the Holy Spirit will convict us today as we think about the true meaning of what is written here. I pray, Father, if decisions need to be made, if any of us really need to think through the implications of this passage to our lives, that, Lord, you help us to do that today. Bless this time. We give it to you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here it is. The word from James that has caused more dissension and more discussion down through the history of Christianity than perhaps any other. Faith without works, is dead. These are the verses that caused Martin Luther, some say, to question the very canonicity of the book of James, whether or not it should even be in our Bible. Faith without works is dead. This is the section of James' letter that some say contradicts the Apostle Paul's teaching in Romans chapter 4. Faith without works is dead. Three times. He says it in this paragraph. It's in verse 17, verse 20, verse 26. Faith without works is dead. It is his central theme, I think. James is a hard book to outline. Pastor Phil and I have talked about that. But if he has a central theme, I think this is it. Faith without works is dead. I think everything we've talked about has led up to this. And I think everything we'll talk about from here on out is going to build upon this. Faith without works is dead. So what does it mean? What is this difficult passage talking about? 
in the book of James. Well, I think this morning we'll consider it uh, under three different, three different uh, headings or thoughts. First, a question. Second, a truth. And finally, some proofs. Question, truth, proof. First of all, a question. Is it possible for faith to exist apart from good works? That's the question. Or as James would put it, as James did put it, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? And before we try to answer his question, we have to understand the question. What in the world is he asking there? After all, uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 18 and verse number 13 says, He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame unto him. So we need to make sure we understand the question. What is he asking here? Is James questioning whether faith alone is sufficient to save? How many of you think that? How many of you see that in those words? And you could be honest because a lot of people do. Is he questioning whether faith alone is sufficient to save? No, he is not. Is he suggesting that good works are needful in order to be saved? How many of you think that? And you can be honest, because some people do. Martin Luther, I think, thought he was saying that. Is he suggesting that good works are needful in order to be saved? No. You see, if he were suggesting either of those thoughts, then he would indeed be in conflict with the rest of the Bible. He would indeed be in conflict with the rest of Scripture because we find verse after verse teaching that we are saved by faith and faith alone. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 8, we quote it all the time. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. John chapter 1, verse 12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe. In his name. Romans 1.17 in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous, the just, will live by faith. So what is he asking? Well, let's notice a couple things about the question. Notice, first of all, that little word says. Did you see that in there? That little word says is very, very important. Did you see that? Uh, where is it? Verse number 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith? James is very specifically referring to a claim made by another. This person referred to in this question says he is a believer, says he has faith, is making a claim. He's a, a person who has made a profession, who has professed to know Christ. So that's an important distinction. He's talking about this person who says he has faith. Notice also that little phrase there, can faith save him? Another important thing to understand the question. You see, James is not talking here about faith as a general concept. He's talking about the faith that is being claimed by this particular someone in question. And if you're holding an ESV this morning or an NIV or an NASB, you'll probably see that that's clarified a little bit. For the uh, ESV and the NASB, render that phrase, can that faith save him? See, he's talking about that specific claimed faith. If a person says he has faith, can that kind of faith, that kind of faith that he says he has without works, can that save him? The NIV renders it, can such faith save him? So a person claims to have faith, but there are no accompanying good works to back up that claim. What he's asking is, can that kind of faith, can such faith save? Is that the kind of faith that justifies in the mind of God? That's the question. 
Larry Richards says, this kind of faith is seen in human beings who, despite their claims to believe in God, are unresponsive. It is not linked with response, either toward God or toward mankind. Such say they believe, but they have no outward evidence to verify what they say. It's a kind of faith that has words without works. And he gives an example here, doesn't he, of it? And uh, in the following verses, he talks here about a fellow believer, uh, a brother or sister, that comes in amongst you, who is in dire need, extreme need. Says so the person is naked and starving. It, it doesn't get much needier than that. This person is desperate. And the response of this kind of faith is words only. Even good words. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the words. Depart in peace, be warmed and filled. We might even interpret that as a prayer. It's possible it was a prayer even. But it was words only. No action. One man said, as if all their wants were satisfied by the mere words addressed to them. The same words in the mouth of Christ, whose faith they said they had, were accompanied by efficient deeds of love. You know, I think this is a problem in churches. Churches in America, maybe more than other places. Filled with people who have this kind of faith. Too many like this, whose words are not accompanied with works, and whose claims of faith in Christ have no evidence to back them up. Is it possible this is one of the reasons why we're seeing people... Uh, thinking less and less of Christianity in this country. Who would have believed in our lifetime Christians would become the enemy to so many, hated by so many, despised by so many? Is it possible? It's because people see through this. Perhaps it explains why the oft-heard charge of there are too many hypocrites in church rings a little bit too true. And so the question from James this morning is, can that kind of faith, that specific kind of faith that he's describing right there. Wordy, workless faith. Can that save? And I think a question we have to ask ourselves this morning is, on a personal level, if that describes our faith, if we look at our own hearts and we have that kind of a words without works faith, then are we truly saved? We need to be asking that question today, and I want you to carefully consider it. Does this wordy, workless form of belief describe you? And if so, are you even a believer? Question number two is truth. Truth. James' implied answer to his own question in verse number 14 is, is kind of clear, I think. He asked the question, what does it profit? What is, what is the implied answer? What do you think the answer is he's implying there? What does it profit? Nothing. Nothing. He asks another question. He says, can that kind of faith save him? And there's an implied answer to that, isn't there? What's the answer to that? Can that kind of faith save him? No. No, that's his answer. But he makes it very, very plain. We don't have to go by his implied answer. Verse number 17, he makes it very clear. He says, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Is there any profit in that kind of faith? No. Can that kind of faith save? No. This kind of faith, faith that is without works, is dead. And useless. And he doesn't say it once, he says it three times. He hammers it home. Verse number 20, do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Verse number 26 is the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And that's the truth. Now, it's at this point that I think a lot of people become confused with James' teaching. And, I, and we really have to think it through. I think, I think here is where we begin to think that maybe James is teaching that we're saved by works. But that is not what he is teaching. Verse number 23 makes it clear that he believed the exact same thing that Paul did. In his example about Abraham, how was Abraham saved? Abraham believed God, 
and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He believed that Abraham was saved by faith. He believes that we are saved by faith. It's faith that saves. But the faith that saves is demonstrated in works. That's what he believed. We quoted from Ephesians chapter 2 earlier. It's a great passage. We quote from it all the time. You know what we usually do with Ephesians chapter 2? We quote verses 8 and 9, and then we stop. But it's not done there. Let's quote it again and keep on going to verse number 10. For by grace are you saved through faith, that none of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, that he hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We do not have a works faith. But we do believe that faith works. Good works cannot produce salvation, but salvation always produces good works. That's the truth of James. Calvin said it like this, It is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone. Some years ago, the family, my family and I took a vacation to Niagara Falls. And while we were at Niagara Falls, we went to Tussauds, Said, I don't know, I think that's how you say it. Tussauds Wax Museum. Anybody ever been to that place? And you know, you walk in there and there's these wax figures standing there and you would swear they are alive. You, you want to walk up and hold a mirror under their nose because they look so lifelike. And you figure that if you walked up and you poked one of them, they'd jump. But if you walk up and poke one of them, they don't jump. Why? Because they're not alive. They might look alive, but they're not alive. The fact is, faith is what makes us alive. It's what gives us life. But works are what show that we are alive and demonstrate that life. It's not possible for me to be alive without demonstrating it. I can't hold my breath long enough to be perfectly still. My chest will begin to rise and fall. Breath will begin to come out of my mouth. My eyes will move around. I, I can't stop talking. I will, I will have to say something. We have signs that come forth from us that we're alive, things that demonstrate that a wax figure doesn't have. I have a friend who maintains a large orchard, and one day I was visiting with him, and he was giving me a tour of his orchard. We were running around on his little four-wheeler out through his trees, and every once in a while he'd jump off the, off the thing, and he'd walk over and look at one of his trees. He did that two or three times, and finally I said, what are you looking for? He said, well, I grafted some, I made some grafts over here, and I'm just checking to see if they're okay. He had grafted a little little branch, I think it's called a scion, if you're into that kind of stuff. He had grafted a little branch onto this root stock, and he was verifying what it was. Okay, and I said, well, how do you know if it took? How do you know if it's, if it's alive? How can you tell? He says, well, you can tell because it's growing. You can tell because it might have a leaf on it now. You can tell because it's longer. You can tell because it's, it's green. There's going to be some sign, some evidence that it actually is alive. And, you know, that's what James is talking about here. James is talking to people who claim to be believers, who make a profession of faith, and he asks the question, is it possible for faith to save apart from good works? And his answer is no. That kind of faith, that definition of faith, that's dead. If you are saved, as you claim, and if you possess faith, as you claim, there will be evidence. There will be works. There will be fruit. As one man said, no fruit, no root. That's the truth. Question, truth. Let's look finally at proof. Proof. He provides three different examples here to make his point. He talks about Abraham, and he talks about Rahab, and he talks about the demons. I want to talk about all three of them just for a minute this morning. 
The first two examples, Abraham and Rahab, are clearly mentioned as being saved by faith. They're mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. You can go and read about them there, both of them justified by faith. And yet, James pulls them both out now and says that they are also examples of people whose faith is demonstrated and proven and perfected and and shown by their works. They have both of those things. So think about them. Abraham, he talks about in verses 21 through 24, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Paul used that exact same verse. He talked about this in Romans chapter 4. He said, what then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. If we compare their words there, James versus Romans, it would be easy for us to think that James was saying Abraham was justified and made right with God by his works, where Paul was saying that Abraham was made right only by faith, completely contradicting each other. But that's not the case. That's not the case. They're complementing each other, not contradicting. See, Paul in Romans chapter 4 is describing the salvation of Abraham. He's referring back to the passage in Genesis, Genesis 15, that talks about God's covenant with him. And I looked back at Genesis chapter 15 as I was thinking about that, and at the top of that chapter in my Bible are those words, God's covenant with Abraham. That's what Paul is building his case around. James, on the other hand, is talking about an event that took place years later, 40 years later, recorded in Genesis 22, when God tested him and asked him to sacrifice his son, Isaac. It was a time when his re- the reality of his faith was being proven and demonstrated. I flipped back to that chapter in my Bible, and at the top of that is the, the heading of that chapter is Abraham's faith confirmed. So they're talking about two different things. Paul is talking about how he came to the Lord. James is talking about the demonstration, the reality of his faith. James used used the same word. He used the word justified in verses 21 and 24. But his use of the word is different than Paul's use of the word. Back in some of the places where he used it. When Paul said in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In that particular case, the use of the word justified means declared righteous, made right with God. It's a judicial term. It takes place in the mind of God. God has declared that you are right with him. And that's the way the word is used often. And that's what is meant by the little uh, cutesy definition that we often throw out about justification. What does it mean to be justified? It means just as if I had never sinned. It's a declaration that takes place in the mind of God that makes us right. So used in Galatians 3 that but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. And in Romans 3.28, therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. That's how Paul uses it. But there's other meanings to that word, and I think James is using it in a different way. That same word can mean vindicated. That same word can mean shown to be righteous. Not declared to be righteous, but shown to be righteous. And if you're holding a New Living Translation Bible this morning and you look at verse 21, it says, don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. 
And in verse number 24, so you see we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Warren Wiersbe said Abraham was not saved by obeying God's difficult command. His obedience proved that he already was saved. It was the outward evidence of it. Paul's arguing for the priority of faith. James for the proof of faith. And he used Abraham as an example. We are saved by faith plus nothing. But that faith will always show itself in good works. He gives another example here. Verse number 25, he talks about Rahab. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Here's Abraham, an example of a spiritual giant. Everybody would have thought to him, well, he's the greatest example. We, we could never live up to what Abraham was. And so he goes to another example that uh, all of us can uh, relate to a little bit more. Because she was saved out of the depths. She's the harlot in Joshua chapter 2 who helped the spies and sent them on their way and was then rescued at the Battle of Jericho. She is listed in the roll call of the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. She's also in the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the ancestors of Jesus. And some might read the words about Rahab here that James wrote and they might conclude that he's saying she was saved by her work, saved because she helped the spies. But that's not what he's that's not what he's saying at all, because we know that Rahab was already saved when that took place. You say, where do you get that? Well, in Joshua chapter 2 and verse number 11, do you remember what she said to them when they arrived? She said this, the Lord, your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. That's the words of a believer. She was already a person of faith before those works took place. She was made right with God by faith, and she was shown to be right with God by her works. They but demonstrated what was already there. One last example, and that's the demons. The demons, look at verse number 19. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. You might wonder why I'm tossing them out as an example. They don't seem to be uh, listed here as an example of faith, but I think they are. Abraham and Rahab are examples of the right kind of faith, a faith that is, that is genuine and a faith that shows itself forth in works. The, believe, the demons are also listed here as an example of faith, but the wrong kind of faith dead faith that does not save. I think the demons are actually very instructive. Think about what the demons believe. The demons have an intellectual belief. They believe with their mind. <laughs> they believe in the existence of God. The demons are not atheists, nor are they agnostics. They believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. Do you know that every time they came face to face with Jesus, they declared his deity? Mark chapter 3 and verse number 11, the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. But he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. They believed in hell. They believed in a face of future judgment. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? All that's belief that takes place in their mind. They had a mental, intellectual Belief in God. You believe in God. Good, James says. So do the demons. They also had an emotional belief. According to James here, it goes beyond mere intellectual assent. They believe that Jesus is their future judge and they tremble. The demons believe and tremble. That's emotion. Emotion. One man said they actually have a more informed faith than the human hypocrites. Men and women can make their easy professions of faith. And live their worldly lives as if there were no God at all. 
Their casual blasphemies about the man upstairs can roll off their tongues with never the slightest tremble at the consequences of offending a sovereign and holy God. Why is it that demons tremble, while sinners can sail on in blissful unconcern? The answer is the demons are not so blind as people. They know their latter end. They really fear the wrath to come. But careless sinners say they believe in God positively, go on in daily life to live as if he did not exist, and yet can dream that they are safe in the everlasting arms. The demons believe intellectually. They believe emotionally. So what's wrong with their faith? They are lost. So what's wrong with it? What they're missing is volitional faith. They don't have a volitional faith. They don't believe with their will. Lost in spite of intellectual faith, in spite of the fact they believe with their mind, in spite of the fact that they believe with their heart, their feelings, their fear, none of that's enough. They don't believe with the will. You know, Peter was sinking beneath the waves, and one of my favorite illustrations of salvation. You remember the story. Peter was walking on the water. Amazing. And then he began to sink. And as he was sinking beneath the waves... He looked up and he saw Jesus leaning out over the edge of the boat. We might say that's intellectual belief. There he is. I see him. I I believe with my mind that he's there. I think Peter no doubt was in great fear at that particular moment. And I believe that he probably looked at Jesus and thought he can save me. I I know he's saving me. I'm I'm terrified that I'm going down and and, and he can do it. I believe he had an emotional belief at the same time. But you know what? Until he reached for Christ's hand and said, Lord, save me, he was still sinking. It was only when he exercised his will. Saving faith involves all three, the mind, the heart, and the will. When we believe that way, we believe to the saving of the soul. And then we are changed. We are born again. We are new creations. We are forever different. And it shows. It has to show. It cannot not show. That's what James is saying. The songwriter said, I've been changed. I've been newborn. All my life has been rearranged. How can that not show? That's what James is trying to say. That's all James is trying to say. If you are saved, you are changed. If you are changed, it has to show. There will be evidence. Others will see it. Paul said the same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when he said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So what does this mean to us? What are we supposed to do about this? Is the implication of James' message here that we should now uh, look at ourselves and say, You know what? I don't have enough works. I need to stir myself up and I need to do more works. Is that the implication of what James is saying? I I think not. If the former part is not there, if one half of the equation is missing, we can't stir up the other half. I don't think that's what James is saying at all. I think what James is saying is that if we are not doing the works, it's because we don't have the faith. And so are we listening? And have we heard him? Have we allowed him to convince us? Faith? must show up and if it doesn't it's because it's not there faith without works is dead Spurgeon said tis a point I long to know oft it causes anxious thought do I love the Lord or no am I his or am I not 
I can think of only one invitation that comes forth from this passage of Scripture this morning. We oftentimes give a variety of invitations at the end of a service. And of course, the altar's open in just a moment as we begin to sing. It always is. If you need to come and pray about anything, talk about anything, come. But there is one invitation this morning that leaps from this text. And I think that that is this. Perhaps there are some this morning that just need to look into their heart and say, you know what? I have been living a lie. I have a dead faith. I made a profession once, but it was not real. I need to be saved, and I need to be saved today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment this morning? While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I, I want to share a few questions that I came across, kind of a spiritual inventory. I want to read these questions to you, and I want you to read them back to God. Say them back to God. Let's take inventory this morning. We need to know, do we have a faith that works? Are we dead or are we alive? Number one, was there a time when I honestly realized I was a sinner and admitted this to myself and to God? Number two, was there a time when my heart stirred me to flee from the wrath to come? Have I ever seriously been exercised over my sins? Number three, do I truly understand the gospel? Do I understand that Christ died for my sins and arose again? Do I understand and confess that I cannot save myself? Number four, did I sincerely repent of my sins and turn from them? Or do I secretly love sin and want to enjoy it? Number five, have I trusted Christ and Christ alone for my salvation? Do I enjoy a living relationship with him through the word and in the spirit? Number six, has there been a change in my life? Do I maintain good works or are my works occasional and weak? Do I seek to grow in the things of the Lord? Can others tell that I have been with Jesus? Number seven, do I have a desire to share Christ with others or am I ashamed of him? Number eight, do I enjoy the fellowship of God's people? Is worship a delight to me? And finally, am I ready for the Lord's return? Or will I be ashamed when he comes for me? Oh, we need to pray right now as the psalmist prayed. Search me, O God, and know my heart. We all need to examine ourselves because James, James' words demand it. And Paul also encouraged it. Examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves, he said. And if that examination reveals that we're not alive, but dead, then let us not despair, but let us flee to the foot of the cross. Let us cry out with our whole mind and heart and will. Lord, save me. And watch in wonder and praise as he does.